Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Torah Studies. Okay, so this is our deep dive into the parsha, into the Torah portion of the week. Torah portion of the week is? Bo. Bo. Torah portion is Bo. Bo, exactly. Bo means come. God says to Moses at the beginning of the parsha, Bo al paro, come to Pharaoh. And just to give a little background, a little bit of context, what's going, what context, what's going on in the story. So here's what's happening. So the Jews have been slaves in Egypt now for about 210 years. And God says to Moses, I want you to be the one to go to Pharaoh, let my people go, and tell him, let my people go. And um, that's, that's the message. Um, he tell, God tells Moses, it's going to take a lot of persuasion. Let's put it that way. It's going to take a lot of persuasion for this Exodus business to actually happen because, as God predicts, God knows, of course, um, Pharaoh is not going to listen. You're going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He's going to say no. You're going to hit him with plagues. He's going to say no. So God says what it's going to take is ultimately it's going to have to culminate with the, the death of the firstborn and tell Pharaoh, he says at the beginning, tell Pharaoh, you're messing around with my firstborn son, Israel. I mean, that's like kind of, you know, a whole nation we call firstborn son. But you're messing with my kid. I'm going to mess with your firstborn. That's the warning that comes at the beginning of the plagues. You're messing with my firstborn. I'm going to get your firstborn. And so the, 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 the uh, not premonition, but kind of the foreshadowing there is that the exodus will happen. Slavery will end and exodus will commence with a plague that strikes the firstborn of the Egyptians, including Pharaoh's own firstborn son. And that's what happens. But right before the 10th plague, so we've had seven, last week we had seven plagues, this week we have the last three. But after the first two of this week's Torah portion, after plague eight and nine, plague eight is the plague of locusts, plague nine is the plague of darkness. After these two plagues, Moses warns Pharaoh about the, about the, um, the impending, impending, is that the right word? Yeah, impending plague of the, uh, number 10, death of the firstborn. And Moses says to Pharaoh, this is going to be it. This is your last chance. This is your last warning. And Pharaoh basically kicks him out of the room and says, I don't want to see you anymore. The next time I see you, or I, I, the next time I see you, you'll be dead or whatever it is. Like, basically, he kicks him out. I don't want to have anything to do with you, Moses. That's, that's the message from Pharaoh. At this point, interestingly enough, the Torah's narrative stops. And we stop talking about the plagues. And their narrative, like, just takes a pause, and the Torah tells us about a dialogue that God has with Moses. So understand this. Egypt has been hit by nine plagues. They've been warned, Pharaoh's been warned, the Egyptians have been warned about plague number, number 10, which will be the one that devastates Egypt, devastates Pharaoh, his own family, and finally is the straw that breaks the Pharaoh's back to, to compel him to send the Jewish people out. But the narrative stops. And God turns to Moses and says to Moses, I got a mitzvah for you. I have a mitzvah that I want to tell you. We're like ready for the plague. And suddenly, let's have a schmooze. And God says, I'm going to give you a mitzvah. Actually, two mitzvahs. Mitzvah number one, we're going to focus on the first one today. Mitzvah number one is the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh, which we'll talk about in a second. Mitzvah number two is the mitzvah of the Paschal Lamb. So mitzvah number two actually makes a little bit of sense because this was supposed to be the last supper. Sorry, this was supposed to be the final meal. Sorry. Uh, this was supposed to be the final meal 
that the uh, Jews will eat in Egypt. The final meal will be a little bit of uh, roasted lamb. Not so bad, right? A little roasted lamb, right? A little matzah. Okay, all right, all right. Mm, jury's out. And a little bit of uh, herbs, a little mar, a little, little bit of herbs. No, not matzah ball soup. <laughs> I mean, they could have thrown that in as an extra thing, but no. Uh, the original, the original like, instructions, the original uh, menu is the Pesach, the Paschal lamb, matzah, and the mar. Right? I mean, we would call this today a burger with a little uh, spice, a little, little kick to it, a little charif, a little uh, horseradish, right? Get a little, little kick to it. Horseradishy, that's a good thing, right? Nothing wrong with that. Anyway, so that, that, was the, that was on the menu. So that makes sense. If God wants to dictate, oh, oh, also, I'm sorry, one, one, more, one big thing. Oh, oh, huge. God said, when you prepare the Paschal lamb, take the blood from the offering and put it on your door so that the angel of death, right, will know to pass over, hence the term pass, hence the name Passover, pass over the Jewish homes. Okay, so that's necessary to know before plague number 10. Are you with me? But what's this first mitzvah? The first mitzvah is, that I mentioned, the first mitzvah is Rosh Chodesh. God says to Moses, all right, hold on to the plagues, the plagues wait, well, the plagues will wait for a little bit. Let's talk about the mitzvah Rosh Chodesh. What is the mitzvah? Why is it here? Lots of questions, but let's see what the Torah actually says. It's only two verses. It's pretty, uh, pretty short. So let's, uh, I'm going to share my screen. You got, can I share my screen? I think I can. Yeah, that's a, that's a Jewish movie that I may show for uh, the next Jewish summer cinema. It's about this from the super, it's about this Orthodox girl who's a weightlifter. Very, right? Very, all right, that's, that's an aside. You guys saw, you guys saw that tab up. First, yeah, it's, it's a cool documentary. All right, is this going to work? I don't know if this is going to work. Can you guys, all right, let me, let me check in with you guys online. Can you see my screen? Yes. Can you see all the text with the width? Yes? I can see the first part of verse 1A. It's too big. And 1 and 2. I don't, I don't know how to do this. How to what? If you, if, you close, if you close the view of the participants, you can I, see I wish I could. I wish I could. It usually has a thing here, but it's no, I so... Mean, if, if individuals just hit the minus little sign... Uh, I don't know if that's going to show up on mine. I don't know. You see what I mean? It's like I've got... The, I've got... All right. It works. It does work? All right. Fine. All right. Either way. Let's, uh, we'll do it, and we'll follow along somehow, someway, we'll make it happen. All right, so Ed, if you don't mind, please read nice and loud. Text 1A, this is where, God, where we take a break from the plagues and bring you the midst of Rosh Chodesh. Take it away. God spoke to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be to you the head of the months. To you it shall be the first of the months of the year. So here we go. So Hashem tells Moses and Aaron the following. He says, This month shall be to you the head of months, shall be the first of the months of the year. So I'm going to ask a simple question. It seems very repetitive, right? In the, the, this verse 2, the first verse just says who's, ta who's talking to. But the second verse is where the mitzvah is found. The second verse seems to repeat the same thing twice. And what is it repeating? What is it repeating? It seems to be repeating the fact that this month is the first month. Look, look, at, the, look at the phrase. This month shall be to you the head of the months. 
to you it shall be the first of the months of the year. Isn't that the same thing? Are we being redundant? Like, what's going on here? So, it, it seems to be saying that the month, of, the month that they were in, which is the month of Nisan, is now the first month of the year. Okay, but why say that twice? So, the way our sages understand it is that there are actually two different mitzvahs. Mitzvah number one is Rosh Chodesh. Mitzvah number two is Nisan being month number one. In other words, if you look at the first half, of the, if look, at the, look at the first half of verse number two. It says, this month, HaChodesh Hazel Lachem Rosh Chodeshim. Which, don't look at the English translation. I mean, you have to trust me on the Hebrew here. HaChodesh Hazel Lachem. This Chodesh, this new entity of the, this new entity, which is referring to the moon, is, should be for you, Rosh Chadashim, should be the head of the months. In other words, when the moon, as we'll see soon, when the moon looks like this, and Hashem showed him, showed Moses, what the moon looked like in its um, initial appearance after it had, it, had, it had waned, in its kind of coming back into sight, HaChodesh Hazeh, this Chodesh, this new appearance of the moon, should be Lachem, should be for you, Rosh Chadashim, Rosh Chodesh, the head of the months. And then, Rishon Hu Lachem Lachashe this month shall be to you the first of the months of the year. In other words, Nisan in the Torah, the month of Nisan is actually considered to be the first month. The month of Tishrei is actually considered to be the seventh month. So it's a little bit backwards, not backwards. It's a little bit different than what we would consider. We, we, our calendar year starts Tishrei. Tishrei 1 is Rosh Hashanah, right? The first day of Tishrei is Rosh Hashanah. So that, to us, is the first month. The Torah says, God says, by the Exodus, no, that this month of Nisan, when Passover is, which we would call the seventh month of the year, is actually month number one. And so, henceforth in Torah, every time it talks about the holidays, month number one is Nisan. Month number seven is Tishrei. It says that Rosh Hashanah is when? The first of the seventh month. Who starts a new year, the first day of the seventh month? What kind of Mishigas is that? But that's the way it is. That's the way it is over here in, in Torah, in biblical understanding. Okay, now, so I'm going to stop sharing for a second, and then we'll be able to see at least some more of you. Um, so what we have here are two mitzvahs. I don't want to get, I, I, I want to stay away from confusion because there's a very, it's a very intricate class. The lesson is absolutely mind-blowing. So I want to make sure that there's clarity over complexity. So what's the clarity? Hashem is telling Moses two things. Number one, how you know when the months begin. How do you know when the Jewish months start? The Jewish calendar will go by the lunar months. Months that follow the lunar cycle. When is the beginning of the month? Here's the instruction. When the moon begins to once again reappear in the sky, that's when, that's when Rosh Chodesh is. That's the first lesson from God to Moses. And the second lesson, yeah, the second lesson is, the second lesson is that, the, that Nisan is the first of the months of the year, henceforth in Torah, at least in the Torah's language, Nisan is month number one. Okay, I hope that's clear. Now, in case it's not clear, we're going to read this inside. Okay, we're going to read this inside. And... Um, hold on. There we go. Let's read this inside and uh, let's see how Rashi describes it. Okay, I'm going to share my screen once again. Let's go here, I guess. Okay, I'm going to scroll down to Rashi. Um, Ed, please read Rashi, text 1b. God said to him, when the moon renews itself, you will have a new month. Moses struggled to determine the precise moment of the renewal of the moon at what size it should appear before it is fit for sanctification. 
So God showed him with his finger the moon in the sky and said to him, you must see a moon like this and sanctify the month. So God tells Moses that the calendar is going to run according to the lunar cycle. And when the, when the moon reappears in the sky, that's when Rosh Chodesh is. And that's the first of the month. And Moses says, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. Like, show me. So God says, all right, it was actually the first of the month. So God took Moses outside and said, look up. Pointed with the, the big old divine finger, I mean, so, so to speak, and said, like this, when you see this, yeah, when the moon looks like this, that's Rosh Chodesh, it's the first of the month. So henceforth, Rosh Chodesh is when the moon looks like that, whatever that was. Well, we know what that is. It's when you have that first crescent of the moon after it's disappeared, so to speak. That's when, that's when it's Rosh Chodesh. Okay, and that's what God tells Moses, and that henceforth that becomes the way it's done. Now, the way it works today is that we have a calendar, we have a Jewish calendar, and the calendars are set, and if you want to know when Rosh Chodesh is, you just open up a calendar, and it's there, it's marked off, boom, Rosh Chodesh, it's either one day or it's two days, whatever it is. It's very clear. It's very clear, and it's, it's, it's formulated. But for hundreds of years, for centuries, for maybe even over, yeah, for sure, over a thousand years, we didn't operate based on a printed calendar. How did, the, how did the Jewish months get determined? It all happened through eyewitness testimony. So take a look at this. Or, I don't know, I'm not showing you anything, but take a listen at, at this. Basically, what would happen is, the wet, on or around the time that Rosh Chodesh should be, so there would be the opportunity for there to be moon sightings. So it would, of course, happen at, happen at night. And the next morning, the court, the high court in Jerusalem would be open to take witness testimony. You had to have two kosher witnesses that approach the court and say to the court, hey, we saw, last night, we saw what looked like the emergence, the appearance of the new moon. And the court would... Um, question the witnesses. Where were you standing? Where were you looking? Right? Where, where were you? What direction were you facing? When you looked up, where was it in the sky? They, and they knew. They, they knew the astronomical you know, configuration. They knew where the moon should be and if it was even possible for there to... They knew if it was the right day, the right night, and, and, and where it would be. And based on that, the, the court would be able to ascertain whether or not the witnesses were indeed telling the truth. And if the two witnesses... Testament, if the, the testimony of the two witnesses lined up and, and corroborated and made sense, then the, the court would say, it's done. Now, how often does this happen? How often is there a new moon? So here's what you need to know. The lunar cycle is a little bit more than 29 and a half days. What that means, what I mean by lunar cycle is, the, you know, the way it works is the moon begins really small in the sky, you, the way it appears, of course, is very small. Then it gets big, full moon, and then it wanes. It gets smaller, smaller, smaller until it basically disappears, and then it starts again. How long does that cycle take? It takes 29.5, a little bit more than a half. 29 and a little bit more than a half days, which means that some Jewish months are 20. Can't have a half a can't have a month with a half a day. So some Jewish months are 29 days, and some are 30. Okay, that's the way it works. And it's not alternating like, okay, this one's 29, this one's 30, 29, 30. It, it's based on the molid. When the moon, based on our calculations, again, based on the calendar today, it's, it's when the moon over Jerusalem 
appears. Like we, ha we have the calculations. We know when it's going to happen before it happens based on astronomical calculations. It's all been done in the fourth century. Hillel II figured this out. He created, you know, for all time, the calendar. And it, it, it's a formula. It's a mathematical formula following science. And it works. And it's perfect. And it, it, there's never been a flaw in it. So that's, that's what we have. And that's how all the calendars work. We have that formula. We, we've cracked the code. But back in the day, they didn't use the code, even though, even though they, they knew the, the calculations, but they did it based on uh, witness testimony. But here's the cool thing about that. The court knew, and I mentioned this parenthetically, but let me expand on this. The court knew whether or not it was possible for the witnesses to have seen it. Like, if it's only 28 days or whatever it is, then the court knows it's not happening. Even if it's 29 days, right, but it's the, it needs an extra half a day, so you're not going to see the moon until the next day or the next night, what, the, the math works. If the court knows that it's not, it's not possible to see that tonight, then they're not even going to open the next morning for business to take the testimony. In which case, they would automatically set Rosh Chodesh after 30 days. Does any of this make sense? I feel like I lost everybody because I'm not explaining it so well. Huh? It's always confused you. It's, it's very, so here's the thing. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. One second. Let, let, me, say, let me try to state this very clearly. A Jewish month could, only has two options. It could either be 29 days or 30 days. So if based on the calculation, based on the astronomical calculation, if there's no way, and how could this be? It could be. If there's no way that the new moon could appear on the night of the 29th, you know what that means? That means that the 29th is not Rosh Chodesh. Sorry, the night of the 30th. <laughs> After 29 days. If it, if it cannot appear on the night of the 30th, then that means that the 30th cannot be Rosh Chodesh. That means that it must be the 30th and the next day is Rosh Chodesh. I feel like I lost everyone again. Anyway, it, do it doesn't really matter. The point is, the point is, forget the numbers. Yeah, it, it only works with if you have a calendar and you work with it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, right, it's printed. But here's what you need to know. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say numbers. I'm just going to state the concept, and you can plug it in for yourself or not plug it in for yourself with the numbers. The concept is that there are certain days where it's possible to happen, in which case the court would convene, and certain times it's not even possible, which, in which case the court wouldn't even bother. You with me on this? It either is possible or it's not possible. If it's not possible, the, the, a month can't be more than 30 days. So if it doesn't happen by a day, if, it, if, the rush, if the new moon doesn't appear on day 30, well, then it's going to, then automatically it's the next day. You don't even need to see it. It automatically happens. And the court says it's Rosh Chodesh the next day, and that's it. The only question is if it's a 29-day, if, if Rosh Chodesh is coming on the 29th day. Oh, I threw a number. Sorry about that. Anyway, the point is that the court will convene when it's possible to see the moon and come a day early or come on that first day, but if not, then it defaults to the second day. Now, all of this is discussed at length in Jewish law. The Rambam Maimonides, who was an astronomer, also added to his list of accomplishments. He talks about this extensively. What I'm going to do, and it's a bit of a longer text, I'm going to read this one, uh, text number two, and I'm going to throw in a little bit of the halacha on it. This is text two from Rambam. I'm going to share my screen. Here we go. Okay, here's how the Rambam Maimonides describes the process. And if it's not showing up on your screen, my apologies, but see if you can minimize something. I can't touch anything on my computer, on my screen right now, because it's just not letting me. Okay, the high court says, Rambam 
The high court, my, uh, um, says Maimonides, would make calculations in a manner resembling the calculations of the astronomers who know the location of the stars and their paths and their orbits. They, the, high, the Jewish high court, would perform careful research to determine whether or not they would be able to sight the moon at the appropriate time, i.e. the 30th night. That's what I mentioned before. Okay, it was e either it is possible or it's not possible. If the judge has determined that it was possible to sight the moon on the night of the 30th, which would render that not no longer the 30th, but the first of the new month, you with me? Yeah. Which renders the previous month 29 days. Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense, right? If the new moon is seen on day 30, guess what? That's not day 30 anymore. That's day one, and the previous month is now reverts back to 29 days. So, if, But if the judge determined that it was possible to see the moon on that 30th night, they would sit the next morning waiting for witnesses to come and testify throughout the entire 30th day. If witnesses came and the court examined their testimony according to the law and verified the truth of their statements, the court would sanctify the new month. They would say, oh, surprise, today is Rosh Chodesh, because somebody saw the moon the night before. Okay, so again, oh, I do want to say this. I want to give numbers. So imagine today is day 30. It's, I know it's at night now. Oh, well. Imagine today was day 30. So imagine 9 a.m., the court opens and begins taking testimony. Two people come in and say, last night we saw the moon, the first crescent of the moon, and the, the judges examine and cross-examine and check it out and corroborate, and it's kosher, and the, and the judges say, the thumbs up it, guess what? That day is no longer day 30th. You have to take out your eraser, erase the calendar. That is now day number one of the new month. Does that make sense? Right, because they saw, now, if it's not possible based on their calculations that anyone would have seen it on the night of the 30th, then they don't even open for business. I mean, they open, but not for the cases regarding the moon. They just don't even listen. Okay, now, if the moon, if the moon, oh, hold on one second. So you know what that means? That means that no one knew when Rosh Chodesh was going to be until like middle of the day. You with me? Mm -hmm. It's like, or until mid-morning or midday. You could go like a few hours in the day and not even know that that day was Rosh Chodesh until the court says... It's good to go. The court had until evening, sorry, until like late afternoon to do it. Because back in the day, all you had to do in Rosh Chodesh, not all, but what you had to add on Rosh Chodesh was a sacrifice, was a Rosh Chodesh sacrifice. So as long as they had enough time to bring that, they could sanctify it and call it Rosh Chodesh. Right, today we would be all messed up. Like, am I, am I saying the halal in the, in the morning prayer or not? Right, I mean, I need to know first thing in the morning. I need to know, you know, 6, 7 a.m. Am I, am, I, am I calling this Rosh Chodesh or not? But back in the day, it was less, I mean, they, they did what they did. I don't know what they did in prayers, but vis-a-vis uh, -vis the temple, they would be flexible. As soon as the court called it, if they had enough hours in the day, they would do it. If it was too late, they would just push it off to the next day. That's it. All right. Yes, Mark. What if it's overcast, that you can't see the moon? Oh, great question. And Ed had the same question. If it's overcast, then no dice. You need to have human witnesses. Even though you know that the moon should have been out that night, night 30, rendering night, uh, day 30, day 1, if there's no witnesses, no Rosh Chodesh. That's how it works. It's got to be, whoa, time out. Back in the day, today, we don't, we don't do any of this. Today we have a calendar and we're set. But back in the day, when it was based on Re'iyah, based on sight, it had to be seen. It couldn't have been known. It had to be seen. Let's continue with Rambam because it gets, it gets very cool. Um, okay, if the moon was not sighted, and that's what Rambam says right here. If the moon was not sighted, for whatever reason, and witnesses did not come, 
So there's no witnesses because they didn't see the moon because let's say it was cloudy. They would complete the 30th day. In other words, the 30th day would stay day 30, thus making the month full. In other words, a day, month full means it has 30 days. And automatically the next day would be Rosh Chodesh because you can't have a month with 31 days in the Jewish calendar. It's either 29 or 30. So if no moon sighting on, day, on night 30, then automatically it's the next day that's Rosh Chodesh. Now, if according, okay, let's continue. I, 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 there's, not, there's not much I can do about this. It is a bit technical. Now, if according to their calculations, the judges knew that it was impossible for the moon to be sighted. So, and this is what I said before several times already. If they know that for whatever reason, and there is a formula for this, but I'm not, I'm not going to confuse everybody. If the judges know based on astronomy and calculations that there's no way Let's say tonight is night 30. Let's make it easy. Tonight, Wednesday night, is night number 30. Tomorrow would be day 30 unless someone sees the moon tonight, let's say. But let's say they know that no one can see the moon tonight. Why? Because it's not possible. Because they know based on 29 and a half days, it's not going to appear until 10 a.m. You with me, what I just said? It's going to appear on day 30, but 10 a.m. day 30, which means tonight at night, you can't see it. Because it's not going to appear. So that if that's the case, if the judges knew that it's impossible for the moon to be sighted at night, they would just not sit in session on, on the 30th day, back inside. They would not sit in session on the 30th day. They, would, they wouldn't convene and open it up for moon sighters. Sighters? Moon sighters? Moon sighters. It's a new... That's what they used to give the t-shirts for the ones that... I am a moon sighter for the high court of Jerusalem. Right? They would not... They, nor would they wait for the arrival of witnesses. They would not sit in session. They would not wait for the witnesses. Now, if witnesses came... If we, oh, we saw the moon! They would know that they were false witnesses. Or that clouds appeared to them in, the form, in a form resembling the moon, but it was not the real moon. In other words, the, 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 the judges, the rabbis... They knew the astronomical, look, if Hillel the, Hillel the second in the, in the fourth century was able to figure out a calendar for all time based on the, these the astronomical calculations, you don't think the greatest minds, the high court of Jerusalem figured it out? Of course they figured it out. They knew what was going on. So they knew exactly if it was possible or not. So if it was possible on that night, night 30, for the moon to be seen, the next morning they would convene, they would hear testimony. If they came, boom, it's no longer day 30, it's day 1. If it's not possible, they didn't bother. And the next day, so it's day 30, day 30 is day, day 30, and the next, the next day became Rosh Hashanah, automatically, by default. Now, let's continue. Let's continue. In order, now, because of the importance of setting the Jewish calendar, because of the importance of setting the Jewish calendar, the judges, the rabbis, Jude, Judaism, etc., in general, encouraged people to come forth and testify about the moon. Because without the testimony, you can't really establish it correctly. You're kind of reliant in that system, not today, but in that system, you were reliant on eyewitness testimony. I'm going to continue to read this one. Rambam continues, text 3. There was, page 5, there was a large courtyard in Jerusalem that was called Beit Yazek. Beit Yazek. All the witnesses coming to testify about the new moon would gather there and the court would examine them there. So it wasn't like in a small courtroom. It was like a big gathering place because there would typically be a lot of witnesses who were moon howlers. Sorry, moon sighters. Okay, they would prepare. Listen to this. They, the court the judges, whatever, they would prepare great feasts for them so that people would be willing to come. Unbelievable. 
and I had a babka that I forgot to bring. And I'm thinking about food. And I'm literally, I literally wrote in the email babka, and I had a babka, and I literally left it. I literally left it. And I'm now, I'm, and you should know, for those of you online, there is, there's a lot of tension in the room right now. There's a lot of tension. <laughs> Kidding. But it's, uh, I now owe two babkas next week. It's boiling over. It's boiling over. There's a revolt. <laughs> Tables are being overturned. Listen. Cheesecake. That's, that's the only way, that's the only way to, to salvage this. It's the only way to salvage is through cheesecake, maybe. All right, I can't promise for Leah, but I can, I can work on it. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's a four-step recipe. Oh, it's, oh, no, no, this is even easier. This is a hack of all hacks. I'll tell you at the end of the class. Remind me cheesecake recipe. We're going to, bonus, we got the moon. That maybe looked like cheese plus a bonus cheesecake recipe. Now, getting back to the story. So how did they attract people to become witnesses? What they do? They serve food. And that reminded me, whoops, I forgot the food. That was, the, that was my train of thought. Huh? Thinking, yes, well, that's, yeah, hoping that I would remember. But anyway, but they serve food. They would prepare great feasts. They, they would have food ready for the people. Now let's continue. The pair of witnesses that, would, that arrived first would be examined first. So the first two in line, yeah, first two up, all right. They would bring in the greater of the two and say to him, I don't know how they determined the greater of the two, but whatever, whoever looked, whoever looked more reliable. They brought him first for questioning. They said, tell us, how did you see the moon? Was it in front of the sun or behind the sun? Now, mind you, this is at night. So I'm not sure what kind of sun we're talking about, but I guess a planetary systems. Where did it look like it was to its north or its south? How high was the moon over the horizon? In which direction did it tilt? How wide was it? Basically, they would ask them exactly, what did you see? You said you saw the moon. What exactly did you see? All right, let's continue. Then, th then they would bring in his counterpart, the other pair of the, the other member of the, of the pair of the witnesses, and examine him. If their statements match, their testimony would be accepted. Let's continue. Then they asked all the other pairs of witnesses uh, certain general questions, not because they needed additional testimony, but so that the witnesses should not leave disappointed and so that they would be accustomed to come. That, clearly, the court was incentivized to give people a good time to make them feel like they were important in this process. And like, you help make the Jewish calendar happen because if everyone's like, ah, someone else is going to do it, guess what? No one's going to show up. And guess what? We're going to have a problem. Rosh Chodesh is not going to be the right day. So then the head of the court would say, it is sanctified. And all the people responded after him, it is sanctified, it is sanctified. Mekudash, Mekudash, it's sanctified. Now what happens? What happens if the court gets it wrong? What happens if the court gets it wrong? What happens if the court, for some reason, um... What happens if the court, for some reason, makes a mistake? Take a look at text 4b. Okay? Take a look at this. Once the court sanctifies the new month, it remains, it remains sanctified regardless of whether they erred unwittingly, or they were led astray by false witnesses, or they were forced to sanctify it. No matter how they made a mistake, if they made a mistake, it still stands. Look at that. Kind of crazy. We are required to calculate the dates of the festivals based on the day that they sanctified as being the new month, even if it's an error. Even if a person knows that the court erred, he is obligated to rely on them for the matter is entrusted to them alone. Basically, in Jewish law, the court and the court's proclamation is very important. And it's based on a verse, as we see in text 4c, um, uh, the one 
God who commanded us to observe the festivals is the same one who commanded us to rely on them on the court, as implied by the verse, which you will pronounce as days of holy convocation. The holidays are that which are pronounced by whom? By the court. So once the court pronounces it, that makes it the holiday. Or in this case, that makes it Rosh Chodesh. So, and, and you based, obviously, the holidays based on when the month begins. If the holiday is on the 15th, well, you got to know when the 15th is based on day one. So here's what we've discovered up until now. Let me just summarize this. So number one, in the Jewish system, the month, the Jewish calendar system, the months are running in accordance with the moon. The moon dictates when the beginning, when the months begin. The moon dictates when the, when the months begin based on visual, originally, back in the day, based on visual um, sighting of the moon and testimony, etc. What happens if the court makes a mistake and they proclaim, let's, let's say, for example, it wasn't possible for the moon to have been seen because, you know, as I said before, the calculation is such that it would not be possible to see at night. But let's say the court somehow missed that. Let's say they messed up and they somehow proclaimed it Rosh Chodesh, that day, day 30 as Rosh Chodesh, not day 30, but day one of the next month. And they messed up and then they realized their error. It, sta it stands. It stays, and that's Rosh Chodesh. And now the question is like this. The question is, so how does that work? How does it make sense? Why does it make sense that if the court makes a mistake, it should still stand? Why don't they undo the mistake? You might say, a simple answer might be that, well, look, no system of law is perfect when you're dealing with human judges, right? There's room for error in the court system as we have our court system today in America. Certainly we have our own you know, issues and, and many problems that plague our legal system. So it's understandable that any legal system in which you're entrusting the law to human judges, yeah, to err is to be human. Or to be human is to err. Or both, right? But human is, is error and error is human. So it makes sense that uh, there's going to be error, but you, we, we go with it. But that's not really a good answer because then the Torah is trying to get divine law, trying to get God's law right. America, it's not about God's law. It's about, you know, we came up with the law, so we're going to figure it out and whatever. But if Torah is all about God's law and it's all about, like, getting it right, so then if you, know, if you know that you got it wrong, why not fix it? Why does it go based on the proclamation of the court if you know that it's wrong? As Rambam says, even if a person knows that the court made a mistake, he's obligated to rely on them. Why? If you know they made a mistake, then call it out and fix it. Why go with the mistake? It doesn't make any sense. Right? So I want to I share with you a perspective, and it's a very deep perspective, and it's got a lot of implications for our lives. But first, we need to get into a, a, a Talmudic debate. The, the Talmudic debate is between two rabbis regarding the origin of creation. When was the world created? Text number five. Elio, please read this one. I'm going to share the screen, and let's jump in. Text number five. The Talmud discusses when the world was created. Take it away, nice and loud, please. It is taught in Baraisa. Rabbi Eliezer says, the world was created in Tishrei. Rabbi Yehoshua says, the world was created in Nisan. So we have a dispute. The, Brayta, uh, the Talmud quotes a Brayta. Brayta is, uh, Brayta, Baraisa is, um, it's, it's a text that, that dates back to the times of the Mishnah. Either way, the Brayta teaches that there's a dispute between two rabbis, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua. These were contemporaries who would always have points of disagreement about matters of Jewish law. It's just what it is. And one says the world was created in Tishrei, and the other one says the world was created in Nisan. Okay? I mean, yeah. We, by the way, we, Rosh Hashanah, we go Tishrei. 
Right? So it seems like we follow Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Shua says, no, the world was created in Nisan. Interesting. Okay, so I guess the question is, um, how do we not know this? Don't we have a tradition? We have two traditions, clearly, but how do we not know this? And, and, and how are they arguing over a fact? I mean, it seems like you could argue over a logical, you know, if you have a question of logic, you can have a disagreement about how you're going to see some, But how, you have a, how do you have a question over a fact? The world was either created in Tishrei or Nisan. I know you're saying one rabbi says this, one rabbi says that, but how, do, how is there a question about something that should be straightforward? Yeah. How do, they, how do they know? How do they know? Good. How do they know? What's, what's the basis? I want to share with you a perspective that's actually brilliant. And the perspective is from Tosfot. I mean, we would know based on some sort of tradition, but the question is how do we have two different traditions about a fact? So if you have a tradition about a logical understanding, a perspective, okay, different people have different perspectives, but how do you have a difference of opinion about a tradition? It's either, it's either Nisan or Tishri. Anyway, take a look at what Tosfot says. Tosfot text number six. Linda, please read this one, and this is actually very powerful. Take it away, please. Rabbeinu Tom said, both opinions are the word of the living God. We can therefore explain that in Nisan, God had the idea to create the world, but it was not actually created until Tishrei. So the Tosfot, who are Rashi's grandsons, Tosfot, Rabbeinu Tom specifically, he had a bunch of grandsons, including Rabbeinu Tom. Rabbeinu Tom says like this, both opinions are true. Both Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua are true. One says Nisa, one says Tishrei, one says Nisa, both are true. How could it be? He says, look, the original idea, the idea was born in Nisan. But the world was born in actuality in Tishrei. Are you with me? Imagine somebody starts a company. Imagine somebody launches a company. And you ask them, oh, when did you launch the company? When, when did you launch it? When did the company begin? So they'll say, well, I had the idea about the country, about the company, um, or the country, right? I had an idea in 2000, but I didn't actually launch it until 2005. So there's two origin dates, right? There's the origin date in actuality, and then there's the origin date in, in concept, right? So that's what Rabbeinu Tam says. Rabbeinu Tam says that the God conceived of the world. God had the idea to create the world in the month of Nisan, it was only until six months later, or whatever it is, till Tishrei, that the world actually was created. So it starts off as an idea, and then it gets built. So it sounds like conception and birth. Good. Conception and birth, right. So when is the... Right, six months instead of nine Right, six months instead of nine Exactly. Right, so there's the conception... Which is, yeah, literally, we would say that conceiving of an idea, right, conception. And then there's the birth, there's the actual launch of the idea. So in this case, it's the idea of creation, which is not just the idea of, oh, hey, let's create. I have an idea. But it's really about the ideal of creation. Like, why would I create? What's the goal of creation is already conceived of in Nissan. The world is actually created on the ground in Tishrei. So I want to tell, tell you a, a, a tale of two creations. This is really what, what Rabbeinu Tam is really saying on a deeper level is a tale of two creations. There's creation, the way it exists in its ideal form. It, 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 um, according to Plato, this would be like the world of ideas, right? Like the, the ideas or ideal, like the perfect, the perfect world or the conceptual world, the world of in concept. And then there's the world as it actually is built out, as it actually unfolds, as it's actually created. So you have like the, the idea behind the world, and then you have the world itself. 
Or you have, maybe in other terms, you have the purpose of the world, and you have the world itself. So to put it in other terms, you would have like, like the abstract and concrete. You would have like along the lines of, it would be like the soul and the body. The soul of the world, are you with me on this? The soul of the world is born, so to speak, or, is, or, or emerges. The spirit, the soul, the purpose, the ideal, the, the concept, all of these are synonymous. Is that, that happens in Nisan. The body of the world, the actual creation, the actual nuts and bolts are built in Tishrei. Good. So we have the concept and the concrete. We have the ideal and the real, we have the soul and the body, two different stages. This is true in everything, in every activity. Hopefully, right, first we have a concept, and then we do something to, 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 to build it out, to bring it into fruition. First it begins as an idea, then it, be, then it, then it, then it culminates as a, as a thing. That's the way it works. Even when we speak, hopefully we have, hopefully we think before we speak. So it begins, our, our words, right, hopefully, hopefully, not always, hopefully, right? No, a lot of times, no, but hopefully... Hopefully, our words that come out begin as a concept, and that's the soul that drives the body of the words in this context. All right, so what's the point? The point is that the world really has two stages. The world, I know uh, Shakespeare said the world is a stage, all the world is a stage, but the world really has two stages. All right, but I'm bum. The world has two stages. Stage one is concept. Stage two is action. There's the concept. There's the purpose, there's the ideal of the world, and then there's the concrete building of said world. In other terms, in other words, I'm going to use different words now. I mean, I could ask, we could ask rhetorically, what is, what, which work represents the purpose of creation? We call that, there's a word for that, five-letter word. A five-letter word, if four letters in Hebrew, that represents the purpose of creation. What is that? Torah. Huh? Torah. Torah. Good. There you go. That, which is what we're doing right now, right? Studying Torah. Torah is the purpose of creation. So it's almost like the Torah of creation, the purpose of creation, originates in Nisan, and the creation itself, the actual unfolding of the nuts and bolts and the mechanics, all that happens in Tishrei. So Rosh Hashanah is Tishrei, but like the purpose is... Nisa. Now, when we think about this, it might be easy to think of this in terms of like not real and real. So like Nisan is not real yet. It's still abstract, conceptual. It's like the ideal, but it's not yet real until Tishrei, and that's when things ma matter. That's when things count. But in the Jewish understand understanding, it really works the other way around. And that is that the most real part of creation is its ideal, is its purpose. And this, which is the manifestation of said purpose, not that it's not real, but it's, it's an outcome, it's an outgrowth, if you will, of what the ideal is. In other words, it's not like you have this, the concrete, and oh, the concrete also has a, a prior state to it that's, little, that's abstract and conceptual. No, it works the other way around. Because there's a concept, because there's an ideal, because there's a purpose, that's why it unfolds into what we have here. So this, this physical reality is driven by the concept. So the real is driven by the ideal, not the other way around. 
So what's primary on one level? You can look at it both ways, but on one level we could say that the origin, the conceptual origin is primary. So stated in simpler terms, in much simpler terms, we have a duality of Torah and the natural world around us. We have what the Torah says, which is the ideal, which is the concept, and then we have the way the world actually runs. Yeah? And sometimes, even though Torah, the concept, is driving the world, sometimes it seems like it's not congruent. Huh? I just, you said the real is driven by the ideal, so the Torah is driving the reality. Torah is driving reality. Torah is, this is the way we believe. Torah drives reality. The problem, what I'm saying right now, the problem is it doesn't always look like that. Well, yeah doesn't always look like that, right? It looks like, you know, who's driving the ship anyway? It looks like this is disjointed from its purpose, yeah. I thought Hashem drives reality. Yes, Hashem's driving reality, but Hashem's vision is embodied by Torah, so it's not that Torah is different than Hashem, but it's oh, God's okay. vision that's expressed by Torah is what drives the reality. In the, okay. in the language of, and we may have it here, there's a, there's, a, there's a quote from, give me a second here. There is a quote from Zohar, Yeah. Text 10. Very cool quote. You guys are going to like this. Yeah, I'm going to read this quickly. Text 10. Look at this one. Um, anyone who looks into the Torah, look at this. Anyone who looks into the Torah and toils in, its, in it is considered to uphold the world's existence. Just as God looked into the Torah to create the world, right? The Torah is the blueprint of creation. A person looks into the Torah and upholds the world. So what we have here are two Dynamics. The Nisan dynamic and the Tishrei dynamic. The concept and the concrete. The ideal and the real. The Torah and the world. It's all the same duality. It's all the same yin, yin, um, yin and yang. Yin and yang? Did I get that right? Yin and yang. It's the two sides of the coin. And one is the blueprint and one is the thing. So, and one is the actual uh, um, uh, culmination. So, for example, when you look at a blueprint... Right? So you have a building. Let's say the building that we're in right here or any building wherever you are. So let's say there's a blueprint. So you could learn about your space by looking at the blueprint. Or you can just look at your space and see what there is. But it comes from the blueprint. The blueprint drives the way the space is created, assuming that you followed, followed the, the way it is. But it's even, deeper, like the, it's even deeper than this when it comes to Torah because Torah is almost constantly creating the world and the world is unfolding constantly. And it's being driven by this ideal by this concept, by what God wants, and that's expressed by Torah, but that's what drives the creation of the world itself. So the fabric of existence is driven by Torah. But here, so you would think that everything should be in perfect concert. So what happens when we look at the world and say, this thing looks broken? There's an ideal. There's a divine value. The Torah says, God tells us expectations. You look around the world, and it looks nothing like it. So what's going on? Or for that matter, what happens when Torah says, do this and it's going to be good? And we do it, and it's not good. What happens? What the Torah says, do a mitzvah and you'll get blessed. What happens when you do a mitzvah and things fall apart? What happens then? What happens when you... It happens, right? Yeah. It happens. It's like, oh God, what happened? I prayed. I showed up. I prayed. I did a mitzvah. I studied Torah. knew What happened? What? The system's broke? How, how do you get a breach in the system? So here's the big idea. This is the big idea. And this will answer a question about the moon and about the court. and everything. It's all the same. It's all the same discussion as you'll see in a second. Because even though, even though the world 
Creation itself is driven by an ideal, is driven by God, driven by the blueprint of Torah. The reality is that because the world is physical and has concealments of the divine, because of that, there could be glitches. There could be a little bit of a glitch. There could be a glitch. How could there be a glitch? If we live in the world of ideals, there's no glitch because that's God's world. But when it comes out in action, it may not look perfect. For example, you have a blueprint. In a blueprint, everything looks perfect. Go measure the walls here. Yeah? Go measure the walls. Are they perfectly as I? Are they perfectly straight? Are they a little bit warped, a little bit bent, a little bit short, a half an inch? I've never built anything I've worth, <laughs> worth talking about. Other, I mean, sukkah, other, other than that. But, like, <laughs> but I know some of you in this room have. Am I wrong here? I'm not wrong. No. Right? Your blueprint is perfect. Right. Yeah? Uh, and in actuality, it's a little bit off. Yeah. So that's what happens. Now, not that God couldn't have made it perfect also. But then you know what? If it was perfect on that level, then it wouldn't be real. It would still be the blueprint. Are you with me on what I'm saying? If it was so perfect on the level of divine perfection, then it would still be the blueprint. It would only be a blueprint. It wouldn't be an actual. The definition of actual is that it's not perfect. That's the definition. I hope that makes sense. In other words, the difference between the Nisan perfection and the Tishrei, sorry, the Nisan conception and the Tishrei creation is the difference between perfection and imperfection. So you have the concept and it's perfect, but in, in actuality, in real life, it's not 100%. It's maybe 99, maybe 49, whatever it is, but it's not 100%. More or less, it's not 100%. Why? Not that God couldn't have made it perfect, but if he made it perfect, then it would still be the realm of the blueprint. It wouldn't be real, it would still be ideal. Mm. We're talking about um, um, uh, fine ideas here. I hope everyone's with me on this, yeah? So let's, okay, good. I'm glad, I, I, listen, it's all about finding the right, the right language of expression here. See, look, even in this process, there's the, there's the class in my head, right? And then there's a class as it comes out. So it's it, not always the same thing. And then there's the class the way you understand it, which is, you know, everyone understands it their own way, which is probably a third class. So, the, I, but let's speak of two, right? So there's a class the way it's here and the class the way it, 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 it manifests. And it's not always, you know, not always am I feeling that it's exactly the, but that's the way it is because the way it exists in, in the perfect space is not, it's just not going to be the same in the, in the imperfect space. This is how the Rebbe answers the question of why it is that when the court proclaims it Rosh Chodesh, why it's Rosh Chodesh. List, but listen to this. There's a twist. There's a twist. Listen to this. Not that the court is imperfect and got it wrong because if they got it wrong, then fix it. No. It's that when the court proclaims it Rosh Chodesh, that's a sign from on high that that was the real Rosh Chodesh. The fact that the moon couldn't have been seen is a glitch in the moon. Are you with me? I'm going to say that one more time. The fact that, it's a twist, it's a twist, it's a twist. We're not saying that the courts are wrong because they're human and they're fallible. Then undo it. No, we're trying to say why don't undo it. Because when the court proclaims it, it must have been infused from a spirit on high that aligns with the ideal of Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh is supposed to be that day. Aye, it's not possible for the moon to be seen because the moon is not perfect. Rosh Chodesh is perfect, but the moon is not always perfect. The moon itself, even though Rosh Chodesh goes by the moon, the message is sometimes the moon is not a perfect representation of when Rosh Chodesh actually is. Are you with me in this huge idea? This is huge. And if I would come up with this, <laughs> but this is the Rebbe's insight on this. Take a look. I'm going to read this inside. Give me a second. Give me a second. Um... One second, one second, one second. 
Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, 12B, 12B. This is it. This, this will blow your mind. If it hasn't already been blown, but this will corroborate the blowing of mind that you may have had. Okay, 12B, here we go. I'm going to read this. 12B, look what the Rebbe says. However, when the court sets Rosh Chodesh on a different day, in which case the Torah tells us to nevertheless rely upon them, this itself proves that it is on that day which the Torah of truth determines to be Rosh Chodesh when the primary new moon occurs above. In other words, in the spiritual realms, whatever that looks like, it is Rosh Chodesh and there is a new moon. As for the fact that physically the new moon takes place on a different day, that's because this world is for various reasons not fit for the flow of the moon above to be expressed in the moon below at the same time. You know what moon above and moon, moon below means? The, 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 the theory and the action, or the spiritual and, and the physical. In other words, it doesn't exactly match up. Why? Because our world, the world of things, is flawed. It's like it very much evokes the philosophy of the Platonic forms. You know what Plato says about Platonic forms? You have like a tree. He says, you call, I'm looking around this, this shul here, we have trees. I mean, what? <laughs> But you could call it a tree, right? So, so Plato, Plato, Plato argues, he says, one second, one second. You call this a tree? Yeah. And that a tree? Yeah. And the thing outside a tree? Yeah. All trees? Yeah. How's that possible? They're all different things. They look different. How can they all be trees? So he says, it must be that there is a perfect form of tree upon which everything else is measured. And although it's not exactly perfect tree, but it's close enough to be called tree, but tree is a one tree that's the perfect tree, which who knows what that looks like, and everything else is similar to that, close enough, we'll call it tree. That's what he says. Now, it sounds like who cares, but it's philosophy, so that's the whole thing of philosophy. You kind of think about things, but, but the, this is really not that far off. And I would say this is obviously an origin of that, but here's the point. The point is that there is a perfect form of Rosh Chodesh, when that's supposed to be, when that is. There's a, there's a moon above, right? The Rebbe says, there's a, there's, there's a flow of the moon above. There's a, there's a way the moon moves in its perfect state, and then there's the way it moves down here. And more or less, it's accurate, but it's not 100%. It's not 100%. So when there's a glitch, when it's a little bit off, that's what happens. The court, that's what it looks like when the court proclaims this day to be Rosh Chodesh, when the physical moon was not actually appearing, and we say we don't, undo the, we don't undo the proclamation, why not undo it? Because spiritually they got it right. That's the power of the Bezdin. The power of the Jewish high court in Jerusalem is such that God guides, this is our belief, that God guided them, even in error, to align with the way it is above, even though it's not manifest and reflected below, and the reason why it's not manifest and reflected below is because there's a, a bit of a disconnect between the spiritual form, moon, and the physical, actual moon. Between the, the spiritual orbit, not orbit, but the spiritual um, cycle of the moon and the physical cycle of the moon, there's a bit of an incongruency. There's a bit of a, a disconnect, a bit of a, of, a, of a gap, a bit of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, uh, you know, on Zoom, when people try to sing together, you ever hear what that sounds like? Yeah, right. It's uh, it's 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 a balagan. Why? Because there's a there's a delay. There's a delay. Everyone's got a bit of a different delay, and it could be like a point whatever second, a millisecond, but it's enough to throw off harmony. And so the same thing is true with the world. The world, by definition, there's perfection, but this world is 
a little bit, yeah, imperfect. If it was perfection, then it wouldn't be the world. By definition, the world means imperfection. And it's not, it's not a flaw in God, it's just the reality of the world. And thus, the moon is, the moon is not always going to get it right. The moon, that's the point. The court got it right, the moon didn't get it right. That's the message. And there's a beautiful takeaway, which I'll get to in a second, but let's clarify first. Yeah, Linda, what were you going to say? So why would God create an imperfect world? Because if it was perfect, then it would be like... Then it would be too close, and then what's the point? And then what's the point? Like, why, then what, what are we doing here? The whole point is, you know what the point is? To align ourselves, to be in that imperfect space, and to perfect ourselves, that we should do the work. If it's already automatically perfect, then what's the point? So everything in nature is going to have that imperfection, even the moon. So sometimes, even though it's supposed to be Rosh Chodesh above... The moon, the mole, the moon won't be born at the right time. And that's a flaw in the moon. That's not a flaw in the court. That's, that's the big idea here. So when the court makes them seemingly erroneously um, proclaims that day as Rosh Chodesh, and, and they got, based on astro- astronomical calculation, they got it wrong, we say, no, it's the Rosh Chodesh. Why? The way the rabbi understands it, because it means that above, in its per- perfect form, that's when Rosh Chodesh was supposed to be. And it's just that the moon is a little bit flawed. Now, you know, the, we, I get it that this is a bit of a tricky concept. I don't mean tricky. I mean, I get it's a bit, you know, it sounds like kind of like maybe like this, like the court didn't get it wrong, the moon got it wrong because I, 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 right, I get it, but it's a, it's a, it's, I think it's a beautiful concept. And here's really the takeaway. And I alluded to it before, but let me express it now. Because all this is wonderful to know about the moon and how things worked when there was a court that determined Rosh Chodesh based on eyewitness testimony. But honestly, we have a calendar now. And we don't do eyewitness testimony anyway, so it's really a moot point that this whole process doesn't apply right now. So then what's the point? So here's an idea to think about. And again, I mentioned this before, I, I, parenthetically. What happens? What happens when we do the mitzvah and we're waiting for the big light? We're waiting for the reward. We're waiting for the jackpot, right? We, we pull the mitzvah lever. 777 new or 770 <laughs> 613 whatever boom where's the where's the gold where are the chips right how come it doesn't happen and the answer is because there's the ideal and then there's the imperfect world there's the divine ideal and then there's the imperfect world and it doesn't always translate but it doesn't mean that it's not working or it doesn't mean that it's not holy. It doesn't mean that it's not spiritual. So just because we don't see it immediately manifest is, is a product, is a product of the imperfection of a reality, but it should not be a point to, or a, a, yeah, something that totally dissuades us from doing the work that we need to do. Linda, what were we going to say? Should you, though, do a mitzvah only to receive the reward? No. Linda's asking a good question. Should you do a mitzvah to get something from it? No. The idea, ideally, ideally, no. But, you know, we're imperfect human beings. We've been discussing. So sometimes we have an agenda. Sometimes we say to God, listen, you know, I really need this. I'm willing to do X, Y, and Z because I really need this. Right? Like, I'm, I'm going to do this mitzvah, but, but here's what I want back. And then sometimes, not only do we not get what we want, but it gets worse. Then we're like... God, wait a minute, I, I did all that stuff. But the point is, the world that we live in, right, it's not frictionless. There's still a little bit of friction. There's still a little bit of disconnect, which means, and let me explain to you the way the Kabbalists explain it, and I've, we've shared this in previous classes, so if you've heard this before, this is going to be um, a reminder. You know, when we pray, for example, 
So prayer, we believe, elicits blessings, but sometimes those blessings don't hit us, and the question is, why not? So the way Kabbalah explains this is that the blessings go into our bank account, but sometimes, so they're in the bank account, but it's possible that we might not be able to withdraw it from the ATM. There's a difference between the funds being transferred into the account and then us withdrawing it from the ATM. There's two different, different things. Are you with me? So the, the funds are going into our account. They're always going into the account. Spiritually, it's happening. The question is if physically, if there's a gap between the money in the account and the money in my pocket, and that's where there could be, there could be some friction. Now, this is, not to, this is not to dissuade us or discourage us from doing a mitzvah. This is not to say, well, there's no point because it may not work anyway. That's not, first of all, as Linda said, you should do it anyway because it's the right thing. Praying, praying to God is right because it's right. A mitzvah is right because it's right. Studying Torah is right because it's right. So, so like we say in Perkyavos, don't be like those servants who only serve their master to get a reward. Rather, you should be like the servant who serves the master not to receive the reward, but because... The master is awesome. So you, you, serve, you serve the source, you serve God, not because of what you get out of it, but because of this. But how do you explain that in God's world, things don't always sink? The answer is because we're dealing with a world that is imperfect and not always congruent. There's a, sometimes a little bit of friction. There's sometimes a little bit of a delay. So sometimes it's not going to work today, not, not work. And sometimes you're not going to see it today, but you may see it tomorrow or the next day or the next year. It may take a whole lifetime. To then look back and say, I see now how I, it might take the afterlife to see how everything made sense. But one thing we know is that the true reality is not the one that we see. And that gets back to today's class. The true reality is not what we see with our eyes because that's a bit of a broken reality. The true reality is not the moon that we see. The true reality is when Rosh Chodesh really is. The true reality is the spiritual reality. And that's where our efforts are best trained. So, in conclusion... Today we learned about the moon, more than you perhaps thought that you needed to know about the process of Kiddush HaChodesh, which is the sanctification of the moon and the new month. We learned, just to recap, I'm going to do a, a 60 second recap, so that, to which point you'll say, why do we have a 60 minute class if we do it in 60 seconds? I don't have a good answer for that, but here's, what, here's the recap. I'm kidding. It's only, it only works uh, if, you have, if you have the whole class. But here's the, here's, here's the, quick, here's the quick version of this. Here's the Tachlis. Before plague number 10, God shares with Moses the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. And God says, when the moon looks like this, you sanctify it. And that's the way the courts did it for a thousand years plus. You had witnesses that came to the court and said, we saw it. And they got cross-examined. And then the, the, the Bezdin said, that the, the court said, Rosh it's Rosh Chodesh. What happens if the court gets it wrong? In an interesting halakha twist, we keep it with what they proclaimed, even though based on our calculations on paper, it doesn't seem like it works. The question that the Rebbe asks, that we ask is, why not correct the mistake? Why leave it as a mistake? And the Rebbe answers in a very interesting analysis, saying through an elaborate conversation about Nisan and Tishrei and whatever, basically that there's two realities. There's the spiritual reality and our reality. And which one is truer and more perfect? The spiritual reality. Ours is a bit flawed. So therefore, it makes sense that sometimes what's true is not always going to trickle down into the astronomical charts. So when the court calls it Rosh Chodesh, it really was Rosh Chodesh. The fact that the moon wasn't ready is the moon's issue, but that's not Rosh Chodesh's issue. Because Rosh Chodesh is a divine ordainment, and that the court got right. And the message for us is, 
we can't always look at what's going on around us to be the arbiter, I think that's the right word, to be the decider of what truth is, because this is not true. So if we say, well, this worked out and this didn't, so let me do this all the time, right? Cheating, prospered, and honesty got me in trouble, right? So I'm not making any money being honest, but I can make money this way, so then let me go, you know, what, what makes sense on the ground, that might not be true, because what's on the ground is not always true. We have to align ourselves with the higher values, with the truth of Hashem, with the ideal, and not always with what's real. And of course, of course, our mission is to align the two, to do our best to align the two, to take that which is out of alignment and make it align, to take our lives and bring them closer up to the source, closer, connect with God, to take the stuff around us and show its connection with the divine, and we're longer than 30 seconds, and I get it, but that's the idea. The idea is tikkun olam. Tikkun olam means to fix the world. If it was perfect, we wouldn't need to fix it. Fix it. The message is tikkun implies imperfection. The world is imperfect. That's where we come in. And that means when the world looks like it, re it rewards dishonesty, be honest anyway. When the world looks like it rewards, right? It rewards cutting corners, don't cut corners, right? Why? Because we're doing what's right and not, right? What's right and not what's right now feeling good. It's what's really right and not what's immediate looks like to our benefit. And it's hard. It's hard. It's, 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 it's not easy. These are all, this is a lifetime of work and it's not just about cheating and business or whatever. It's, like, it's an easy, it's low-hanging fruit example. It's about everything in life. It's everything in life is about aligning it with its true purpose, aligning it with something higher, not just keeping it disconnected. When we eat, famous, famous chassidic teaching, when we eat, it should be for a higher purpose, not just for physical gratification, because that's a disconnected experience. We don't want, we don't want to have disconnected experiences. We want to have connected experiences, and connected experience means when we're eating and aligning it with our soul. So that's today's class. Today's class is all about recognizing the flaw, the flaws in our reality, the perfection in the divine reality, and encouraging us, motivating us to look a little bit more at what the truth is and not what, what's here on the ground. Thank you very much for joining me for Torah study. I hope this made sense, number one. I hope this was um, inspiring, and uh, I hope you took away some practical lessons. All right, we'll, we'll open this up for questions. Let's start around here, around the table. Questions, comments? Yeah, like you, you said, I remember uh, last Shabbat, like you said, you know, the Rosh Modesh would be at 2.32 yeah. in the morning. Yeah, yeah. What is that? That's the mullet. That's exactly what we're talking about. So, first of all, it was 2.23. Last... You got that wrong. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. No, no. Very good. So, I was actually thinking in preparing this class, like, should I break out the calendar and go through, through times? I'm like, no, nah, it's going to make it more complicated. It was still complicated. It was still too... It's not something we can cover without, like, really... But here's, here's, here's what happened. Last... This week... Sunday night. Sorry, early Monday morning. Early Monday morning. This week, early Monday morning at 2.23 a.m. Monday morning. In Jerusalem time. Not, 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 not uh, Atlanta, not, e, uh, not Eastern Standard Time. In Israel, Jerusalem time. At 2.23 over Jerusalem, that's when that first crescent of the moon appeared. How do I know this? Because we got the calculations. Because we know it. Right? I read it in the calendar. I, so that's how I know it, practically. But, but it's known. 2.23 a.m., Monday morning, this, a few days ago, Monday morning, two days ago, today's Wednesday, 
I think. Still Wednesday. Seems like a long week. Whatever. Yeah. Two, two days ago, in the morning, 2.23 a.m., Monday morning, in Jerusalem, the moon appeared. So guess what? Monday was Rosh Chodesh. And you know, what that, and you know this month, you know what happened this month? Well, Listen to this. Shvat. But it was, it was the 30th day, which means that it was day one, which means that the previous month of Tevet only had 29 days. The previous month, this, this is real time. Previous month of Tevet, we're in Shvat now. Third day of Shvat. The Tevet had 29 days because day 30 was day one because the new moon already appears. Now, we know this. We didn't have to wait for a witness testimony because we know based on the calculation. So what was your question? I don't know if I'm answering the question uh, at all. And are we supposed to do something at that time? At 2.23? Yeah. Sleep. No. no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so we're still awake? So yeah. we're still awake because the night before, uh, I've never seen anything to like, you know, align on that level. Um, Look, the days are scorched. We know in advance. Go out, look at the moon. Go out, look at the moon, howl at it a few times. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Because Shavani, you do afterwards, um, a few days afterwards, once it's a little bit bigger. No, no, we don't. Um, I've never heard of a practice on that, you know, for that specificity. But, yeah, they, <laughs> the, the idea is that that's when Rosh Chodesh is. And if the, if the court gets it wrong back in the day, they got it right. But, they, yeah. Oh, hold on, Sarah, one second. Elio's going to go, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump to you. There's two months that can, don't always have, it's, it, it fluctuates between 29 and 30 days. Right. Is, is it, is it I don't remember. Two the months either could have 29 or 30 days. Yeah. Some of the months are set yeah. as to which oh, one they are. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't remember which ones, but it's, it's a thing. Sarah, jump in. Is this conversation related to the Torah saying that um, when Hashem created the world, He made something from nothing, nothing meaning Him. Right. And, and the Jew, Jew's job is to take the something and return it to the nothing. To I the, like that. I like that. Is that, related, is that related to what we're talking about? I would say, yeah. I would say God, God created something from nothing. In other words, physicality from spirituality. Or to put it in other terms, God made the spiritual physical, and our job is to make the physical spiritual. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. Our job is to undo the imperfection and get back to the perfection. But not by escaping. And that's why I wanted to, I kind of subtly alluded to that. Not by running away from this world, but by fixing it. Tikkun means repair. Not running away, but, but fixing it. Aligning it. In this context, aligning the two realities. Getting our physical reality a little bit closer to that spiritual ideal. Um, not to run away and say, well, let me get, go to heaven where it's perfect, but, but by aligning it more through our actions. Yeah. Rabbi, Rabbi Ar. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a huge amount of problem with um, the Sivan and Tishrei. Uh, Nissan. Nissan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I, I looked at I looked in my, in my Rashi. Yeah. And this is the simple meaning. No commentary. No. No Zohar. I'm sorry. None of that. And Hashem said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this is Torah, saying, "This month shall be for you the beginning of the months. Right. It shall be for you the first of the months of the year. This okay. is not like you need a sign between your eyes." on your hand, between your eyes. And what does that mean? We need common. The, the world ought to tell us 
we don't need an oral law to tell us. This is the simple meaning is obvious saying this is the first of the month Good. of the year. Good. So Nisan. Right. The it, Nisan is number one. It should, not be the, it should not be the New Year, Jewish New Year. It should be Sivan. Nisan. Or Nisan. I keep Nisan. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Nisan. Good, 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 good. Right. So, so when the Torah says this is the first month of the year, it doesn't mean that it's not Rosh Hashanah because the same Torah says in the book of Deuteronomy and in Leviticus, it says there that on the seventh month, on the first day of the seventh month, you shall celebrate Rosh Hashanah. So you can't, you can't undo what we know as far as the observance of the holidays. So you and I are not going to undo this now based on our analysis. It's, it's the Torah itself says day one of month seven is Rosh Hashanah. So it, that's what it says. Day of the shofar sounding. That's exactly what we do on Rosh Hashanah. At the same time, it does call this month the first month. So what does it mean? That's why the Talmud has a debate. According to Rabbi Eliezer, he says Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah is the first month. According to Rabbi Yeshua, no, this is the first month. To which Rashi says, the grandson of Rashi, Rabbi Tam says, that there's two firsts. There's concept and there's, uh, there's perfection and there's uh, creation. There's concept and there's implementation. Two different firsts. And that's, that's the key, that's the, that's the catalyst of this whole class, this whole conversation. There are two firsts. There's two realities. There's a reality of blueprint and a reality of construction. Two different, two different worlds. So the, the blueprint reality... Right? That's created Nisan. That's the first month. And maybe when God says to Moses, this is the first month, the message is not this is when it began, sorry, not when it unfolds in perfection, but this is the goal. This is the ideal. Remember, even as you celebrate the beginning of creation, remember what the purpose is. Never take your eye off the prize. In other words, Mark, I'm agreeing with you. But, but, but understanding it as a hybrid, not that it's an either-or, and that's the whole big idea, the mind-blowing idea of Tosfot, which is not Kabbalah, Tosfot is Tosfot. The whole Tosfot idea is that it's not an either-or, either this or that. It's not Nisan or Tishrei, it's both. It's Nisan and Tishrei. Tishrei is the birth of imperfection, Nisan is the birth of perfection, and the goal is to align the two. That's, I mean, not the goal. Our work, our job is to align the two. Try to align the two. And that's why we're here. But yeah, you're correct. The fact that God tells Moses this is the first of the months of the year, that lead, lends credence to what Rabbi Yeshua says, that Nisan is the first of the month, is the, first, is, is, the, is the beginning of the origin of creation. Because that's what first means, beginning. But, but, but Rabbi Ezra says no. And we know that it's, halakhically it's not. So what does Rabbi Shua mean? And how is he right? So that's where Tosfo comes in. So that's the hybrid could method. I, yeah. Could I just add something? Sure, absolutely. It, it, just, I mean, I, you know, this is going back in history a little bit. But when King George died, his daughter became queen. Mm-hmm. That wasn't her coronation. Her coronation was later. She became queen. She was the queen of England. The, the, the region she went from her father to her automatically. There was no gap. But when she was, when she was the coronation ceremony, which is Rosh Hashanah, Lahavdil, I mean, right. really, that's when we crowned right. Hashem our king, was, was later. Good. So if we, could just, if we could just take an example right. from, from that, Good. You know, if that helps you, Mark, yeah. Good. It's good. Yeah. 
Good. Okay. Excellent. It's, it's just because, you know, I like the royal family. <laughs> there you Can go. Can I chime in with a comment? Absolutely, Steve. Okay, thank you. Now, I know that uh, certain young toes cannot occur on certain days. For instance, for instance I'm looking at my uh, young Kipper uh, mock store, and the prayer for the day, there's one for Monday, one for Wednesday, one for Thursday, and one for Shabbos. <laughs> and right. so the calendar is designed so that uh, Yom Kippur will not start, will not, will not be on certain weekdays. But what happens when the court gets it wrong? That's a good question. That's a good question. I'm not, you know, there's a lot of discussion in the Talmud um, about, you know, Back in the day, could these holidays have fallen out on days that we consider to be less desirable, or was it also somehow um, done in a way where that was circumvented? I don't, I don't recall the answer. I know it's discussed. You're asking a very good question. I know it's discussed. I don't remember, I don't remember the exact answer on that. Um, but it's worthwhile to look into. It's worthwhile to look into. It's, um, it's in Talmud and in the commentaries, but... I, I just I don't have that I don't have the conversation fresh in my mind, so I don't want to jump in on it and 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 say either way. But you're absolutely right. The phrase in halakha terminology is lo adu rosh, which means rosh rosh hashanah cannot be adu. Bit adu no in Hebrew adu aleph dalid vav aleph is one Sunday rosh hashanah cannot fall out on Sunday the first day rosh hashanah cannot be Sunday dalid is day four Wednesday and vav which is Friday, day six Friday. Lo adu rosh. Rosh Hashanah cannot fall out. First day Rosh Hashanah cannot be on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, the first day, and on a Friday. That doesn't mean the second day can't. It just means the first day can't fall out on those. And because of that, Kippur can't fall out on certain days, and other holidays, and Passover, and Purim cannot fall out on certain days. It's a very, it's a very elaborate. When, they, when, they did, when Hill II did the calendar, he took in all of these factors into consideration. As to your question, when it was done based on witness testimony, could they have messed it up? Was there, was there an escape hatch? Had to unmess it up? It's a very good question. We have to look that up. I, I have a question. Yeah. Um, the, the Torah you know what? Hold on. I, people, people, have to, people have to run. So I want to make a quick announcement. I'll get to your question, but let me make a quick announcement. Okay. The quick announcement, the, yeah, that's right. The quick announcement is like this. We have a lot of, um, we have a lot of, uh, of upcoming opportunities. Okay. So next week, next week, let's speak about next week for a second. We have, we have a, looks like we're going to do a Rosh Chodesh Society class on Monday. We have another class on Monday also, which is, um, uh, how to think like a Hasidic master. So we have how to think like a Hasidic master, Rosh Chodesh Society. We have Rabbi Label Wolf, mastering, your, mastering Our New World, live event. He'll be live from Melbourne, Australia. Um, it's an online event. We have also, so that's coming up next week. Those are new things. Then we have the following week, which is unannounced, as of yet unannounced. Sunday, December 16th, say, save the date. Not December, Sunday, January 16th. We have a Tubishvat tree planting event. Tubishvat tree planting, outdoor tree planting event in Hammond Park in Sandy Springs. An email will go out at some point about this. 
It's, uh, I mean, we, we got bumper to bumper stuff over here. So that's happening on the 16th. If you want to be part of it, you can let me know. You don't have to wait for the email. You can just email me or text me and let me know, and we'll get you in on that. We have, we're putting together a group uh, to plant some trees um, in honor of Tubishvat. Then on that Tuesday, which is the 18th of January, we have a concert event, which is going to be fabulous. Join us for a Hasidic musical uh, concert of Hasidic music and the story that the songs tell, the 18th of January. The following week, we have, we have the brand new JLI course called Meditation from Sinai, all about spirituality and meditation. And on the 28th, we have a special Shabbat birthday dinner for me that everyone's invited to. Um, if you didn't get information about that, let me know and I'll send you an invite. Otherwise, I hope you can make it. It's at the end of the month, so hopefully by then, you know, we got a few weeks. So if you know, things are shaking, I figure when you plan when things are calm, by the time it hits, it's not calm. If you plan when things are, are here, then hopefully by that point, it goes down. That's my, that's my theory, and we'll see if it works. If not, you know, whatever it is, it is. But it's January 28th for that, for that Shabbos dinner, so save the date. Keep it in mind. Even if now you're like, oh, that's not going to work, keep it in mind. Don't, uh, don't throw it out too fast. Keep it in mind. Let's see how things go out over the next four weeks. All right. Um, I think, yes. Ray was asking, is that a book you can order? Oh, Ray's asking about a book. Yes, the answer is yes. There is a book. This is the teacher's edition. But there is a book. It's on Amazon. If anybody wants the Amazon link, here's what you can do. You can either look at the email that we sent this morning. At 8 a.m., we sent an email with a Torah Studies preview, which has a link to the Amazon. If, that's, if, you, don't want, if you don't have that or whatever it is, send me an email. RabbiAriAchabanatan.org, and I will send you the link to order it. Amazon. It will deliver to your house, and that's how you get the book. That's it, easiest way. Order it. If you have Prime, in a day or two, it arrives, and you're golden. All right, so that's what's coming up. I have five, five things that I mentioned. Maybe six things. I don't remember anymore. Maybe six things. We have Rosh Kodesh Society, How to Train Your Dragon. I'm kidding. How to Think Like a Hasidic Master. We have um, Mastering Your Inner World with Rabbi Wolf. That's three. Then we have Tubishvat tree planting. We have the concert event. Oh, we have seven. Then we have the JLI course, meditation from Sinai, and the Shabbat dinner to boot. Seven events, some in person, some online, some both. Tree planting will not be online. Um, Shabbat dinner will not be online. Anyway, you can you look on the website. It usually has like a little slash through ribbon that tells you how to find it. If you're confused as to what's coming up, so am I. I'm kidding. I'm not confused. But go to the website. It's, it should be fa straight, uh, fairly straightforward. IntownJewishAcademy.org and select the box that says all of the above. I'm kidding. There is no box. You just have to go through each one and check it out. I know we should have a, an all of the above box, but whatever. We don't. So in the meantime, you just got to check it out. All right. It's, it's very late. Mom, we'll speak on the phone afterwards. If that's okay? Okay. I just, my question was only when did Hashem make the blueprint? When did Hashem make the blueprint? Ah, power? this is a good question. Be some, sometime before the world. It says in the Talmud, 2,000 years before the world was created, that's when the Torah emerged. 2,000 years. But then the Wait, question is asked, I, I, how do you have 2,000 years before the world was created? How do you get 2,000? If it's before the world was created, then it's before time. So how do you get 2,000 years before time? How do you measure 2,000? I, I don't know, but that's what it says. Alpayim Shana. Two thousand years, the Torah preceded the world. How we figure that out is is is, is anyone's guess. All right, we'll see you all Lila Tov. We're gonna let everybody go. See you later. Don't forget to join us for the upcomings, and we'll continue learning. All right, Shkoyach. Thank you.